Welcome to Econ Talk, part of the Library of Economics and Liberty. I'm your host, Russ Roberts of Stanford University's Hoover Institution. Our website is econtalk.org, where you can subscribe, comment on this podcast, and find links and other information related to today's conversation. You'll also find our archives, where you can listen to every episode we've ever done, going back to 2006. Our email address is mail at econtalk.org. We'd love to hear from you. Today is October 22nd, 2018, and my guest is author A.J. Jacobs. His latest book is Thanks a Thousand, A Gratitude Journey, and that is our subject for today's conversation. A.J., welcome to Econ Talk. Thank you. Of course, I have to say thank you. It's my job, but I do mean it. I'm a fan of the show, so delighted to be here. Yeah, well, I'm I'm delighted too, and I th- I'm a big fan of gratitude, which we're going to spend some time talking about today. Uh, what's the idea behind the book? Well, the idea is it came about because for a couple of years I had been saying these sort of secular prayers of Thanksgiving before meals, uh, and they're not traditional prayers because I'm not very religious. So instead of thanking God, I would thank some of the people who helped bring my food to the plate. So I'd say thank you to the farmer who grew the tomatoes and the woman at the store who sold me the tomatoes. And it was going okay. My my kids were tolerating, tolerating it um, until one day my son, who was 10 at the time, said, you know, Dad, what you're doing is kind of lame because they can't hear you. You know, these people are not in our apartment. If you really cared you would go and thank them in person. And I thought, that is an interesting idea. It's a good book idea. Thank you for helping me with my career. (laughs) And uh, and that set me off on a a journey that took months, and it took me around the world. And I I thanked, ended up thanking over a thousand people who had even the smallest role in making my morning cup of coffee. And it was really revelatory because you realize there are hundreds of people we take for granted. And I love that you've talked about this on your show in various ways that that it takes it doesn't take a village to make a cup of coffee. It it takes a uh, it takes the world. A horde, an army. Uh, Yeah, it's one of of the most, uh, I think, beautiful things. There there is something um, lovely about knowing everyone or being able to thank everyone easily who serves you in different ways. But in the modern world, of course, we're served by thousands of people we don't see. But you made an actual effort to thank them face-to-face, which is a very cool experience. So talk about uh, the lengths you went in the book. You start with your barista on the corner and uh, at Joe's, the coffee shop you like. Right. And um, talk about some of the, the range of, of ways that you went to be grateful to those folks. Well, right. I started uh, and I worked my way backwards and um, I tried to thank people in person if possible, but also by phone and by email. And and what you realize very quickly is it's six degrees of gratitude. It's just um, a never ending chain because I could thank the truck driver who drew who drove the coffee beans to the store. But he couldn't have done his job without the road. So I would thank the people who paved the road. And they couldn't have done their job without the people who uh, painted the yellow lines on the road uh, so that the truck didn't crash into oncoming traffic. And um, it was just, you know, I could have spent 100 years doing it. I could have gotten to um, over a million people thanking. And, um, and it was wonderful. And, and I would, it was a little awkward because you know you're saying it's not a normal uh, thing we do in, uh, in society is thanking these uh, people who are 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 very vaguely uh, connected to what you're what you're doing. But uh, it was wonderful. I mean, you had a range of reactions. You had some people who were like, you know, I'd call them up and they'd be, "Is this a pyramid scheme? What's going on? What are you trying to sell?" But a by far the majority were delightfully uh, and pleasantly surprised. So I remember I called the woman who does the pest control for the coffee beans at the warehouse where my coffee is stored. And uh, I said, I know this sounds strange, but I just want to thank you for keeping the bugs out of my coffee. And she said, well, that is strange, but uh, but I really appreciate it. You know, I don't get a lot of gratitude 
And um, it was like an anti-crank phone call is the way I, I was sort of penance for the obnoxious prank phone calls I made in high school. Uh, and if it's done well, if it works, it's good for both the thanker and the thanky. You know, you feel better and they feel better. Yeah, I'm a big fan of gratitude. And we'll talk about the whole concept because it's woven into the book. I, I do want to mention, though, when I was uh, interested in industrial processes, I, I called the people who made the gamma ray detector that is used to make sure that cans of soda are filled to the top. <laughs> so cans of soda are filled to the top, which is amazing. You almost never get right. a can that's not. And that's because every can has gamma rays shot through the top and there's a detector and through the top part of the can. And if there's liquid there, fewer get through. And if it's empty, uh, more get through. And it, then, then they know that the can's defect hasn't been filled correctly. And I had a very long and interesting conversation with that person. But as you experienced, a lot of these folks don't get a lot of contact from the public. Some of them are very happy and thrilled that someone's actually paying attention to their job. And right. others are like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> well, I love that. I did not know about that uh, gamma ray, but, it, but it's just one of thousands of examples. And, uh, yeah, I loved talking to the guy who designed the, the lid for my coffee cup because the amount of passion and thought that went into the, you know, he's an entrepreneur and he, he's sort of like the Elon Musk of coffee lids. He's very, hopefully a little more emotionally stable, but he's very, um, uh, he, he's very innovative and passionate and he designed it so that there's a hole in the middle to let out the aroma because the aroma is such a big, important part of coffee. So yeah, it, it was, it was remarkable. And, and as you say, people don't, uh, often uh, acknowledge that, and and I think that's a shame. Yeah, the, I, the other part of it, which I love, um, which I think is a big part of, of life satisfaction that's missed, is that not only did you have the satisfaction of thanking these folks and giving them you know, a, a pleasant moment, ideally a little more than a moment, but at least one pleasant moment, but it reminded them that what they do isn't just punching out lids or punching out steel mm. or driving a truck, that they're actually improving people's lives. And in, in my experience, most of us tend to reduce our lives, our, our, the work part of our lives, to a very narrow set of actions mm -hmm. that we then say, oh, I did those well, yeah, or I'm good at my job. But they don't – I think it's a lost – a tremendously lost thing that we don't think enough about how – we affect other people. My, my, my sister's a real estate agent, and I, when I was thinking about this uh, a few years ago, I asked her how often she stopped to think about you know, what she did. Obviously, she works hard. She tries to make a lot of money. That's normal and human. But I said, how often do you stop to think about the fact that people who come to your town scared and uneasy, and you comfort them and find them something that's appropriate no. for them that makes their lives better? And she said, never. <laughs> and thank you <laughs> because – because it actually it, – it moved her. She, she's mm. actually doing something that's more than just earning a commission. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Seeing it as part of a bigger picture. And it reminds me of the story of uh, JFK, which I actually don't think is apocryphal. I looked into it. It looks <laughs> real. But when he was touring NASA, he, um, he ran into a janitor, and he asked the janitor, what is your job here? And the janitor said, I am helping – uh, man get to the moon like he realized that you know his keeping the nasa offices clean was a small part in their big mission and uh, and that must have given him a lot of meaning uh, which is wonderful yeah actually i i just want to reference uh the book my grandfather's blessings by uh, rachel naomi remen which is where i first saw this idea and she tells the story of somebody who's terminally uh, die, dying of cancer and and they gathered all the people in the room who it was a doctor and they gathered all the people in the room who's who had benefited from some procedure or some treatment that he had created and you know it was incredibly powerful evening but mm. the, the tragedy of the evening it was a beautiful thing but the, some something of a tragedy is he didn't spend a lot of time thinking about that and he was more focused on developing the device or the treatment or whatever it was and it's really important, I think, that we think about, you know, what we do. And, you know, you and I are doing this strange thing. You write a book, 
you, you do get occasional emails from people who I'm sure would thank you and who probably mm. curse you out sometimes, but most of them are pleasant. And But the 90%, 99%, 99.99% 99 of the people who love your book will never tell you. Mm, I know, and it is so motivating to try to remember. And actually, that's what inspired me as part of the marketing of this book. I decided to do a project where I would write 1,000 thank you notes to read or anyone who had ever read a book or an article by me. And they, you can go on the internet and, and fill out a form and say, you know, anything you want. And I'll respond with a personalized, handwritten uh, uh, paper note. And, uh, you know, it's been a pain in the butt. But at the same time, it's been wonderful. It's so lovely to get feedback and, and how the books have touched people. And, uh, you know, it, it remind, it's very inspiring because... If if you I think if you can remember that what you're doing is not just for yourself that it's improving society hopefully and it's touching other people hopefully uh, that to me is the most inspiring part of work. I, you mentioned your your parents. Uh, I, and that's an obvious example where you know for me and when I first had was blessed with a child. One of the things that it does, it does a lot of things too, but one of the things it does too is it makes you realize what your parents did for you. Mm. Because uh, tragically or not, realistically, you don't spend a lot of time thinking about it. And when you have your own child, you realize, oh my gosh. <laughs> and, and, and you should be overwhelmed by gratitude. And I think, you know, how often you tell your parents how grateful you are for what they did for you uh, it, it, it is an open question, but telling them is a really good idea, I think. I love that, and I hope my kids are listening to this podcast. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and it's not, I mean, that was uh, that was just one way I could have gotten to a thousand people is I could have thanked the parents of the the barista and then their parents and their parents, and, you know, it's a chain. So yeah, just another example of, of interconnectivity, which I think is a, a theme of your show. Um, and by the way, I loved your poem about the loaf of bread, which has a, a similar yep. sort of a, a similar vibe about all of the people involved in making one loaf of bread that we don't think about. Yeah, I like to say self-sufficiency is the road to poverty. It's very hard <laughs> to have a, a modern lifestyle with all of its superficiality, but all of its greatness and implications for our health and our enjoyment if we take advantage of it correctly. Mm. But it's very hard to have that lifestyle without uh, relying on millions of people. And I, yeah. people don't um, uh, don't really realize that. And there's no one to thank for that. That's something we, we know that I want to come, I want to come back to. But um, l let's talk about uh, what I, one of the things I really loved about the book is you, you thanked a lot of people who played a small role. And you talk about uh, one of the people you encounter is a bass player in a band, which is mm. not the most uh, glamorous parts of a, of, a, of a band. Talk about the role of the bass player. Yeah, the bass player was actually, his real job was that he was the taster who uh, chose the coffee beans that my coffee, and it was wonderful because you know, the amount of passion, again, that went into this, and he would take a sip and be transported, and I have, I sense notes of maple syrup and uh, and jasmine, and, you know, I would take a sip and be like, well, <laughs> I'm, I'm sensing coffee, I taste some coffee, but, but the amount of thought that he put into it actually makes my life better, whether or not I realize it, I'm tasting better coffee, but he, in his spare time, he's the bass player for a band, and he said, the bass players just don't get the same recognition. Everyone wants to be the the lead singer. Uh, but you can't do You can't have a good band without a bass player. And I loved that. And, and I ran across a term uh, uh, from psychology, the responsibility bias, and that we, we focus on the one person. Uh, and, it, and it's just an error. Uh, I, I say in my book, for instance, I am perpetuating that error by having my name on the cover as the only name. Sure. You know, if this were a more honest book, it would say, you know, by A.J. Jacobs. And then it would list 100, you know, my editors, the people who 
uh, designed it, the the people who cut down the wood to make the pages, uh, you know, there are hundreds of people. And I actually brought it up. I was like, maybe this would be interesting. And the editor's like, that would just confuse the heck out of people. So we're, <laughs> we're not going to do that. But I loved his point of um, that we that we need more bass players. And uh, and I think in society, like even just in science, we need more. Not everyone should be trying to come up with a brilliant new hypothesis. We need people to replicate experiments. We need people. It's not as glamorous, but it's so important. Yeah, I wrote an essay recently uh, called The Story of My Life, where I think many of us tend to see our our own personal experiences as a movie where we're the star. Uh, mm. And that sometimes it's it might be better, maybe most of the time, to think of ourselves as part of an ensemble that is creating something that's grander than just uh, my lead story. I, I think about people who sing in the chorus of a musical. They get zero recognition often, very little, and yet – they're totally devoted to it, and mm. it's um, once you've been in that role and you realize how deeply satisfying it can be to merely, and I put that in quotes, be part of the ensemble, it changes the way you look at life. It changes the way you think about a lot of things that you do from both parenting mm. to the workplace. Yeah, I love that. And yeah, finding meaning and being part of a community, being part of something bigger. And uh, it reminds me of, I saw a Chris Rock stand-up special a couple of months ago where it's called Tambourine. And it's because he's saying in marriage, sometimes you get to be the lead singer, <laughs> but a lot of times you're playing the tambourine in the background and you've got to enjoy that tambourine. Like you can't be complaining and rolling your eyes about the tambourine. You better uh, embrace the tambourine. And he actually says he did not embrace the tambourine, and that's why he's divorced. Yeah, that's a beautiful I, – I would have said, you know, need a T-shirt, more tambourine, but um, – <laughs> or less. Less – I don't know. Uh, but uh, it's funny that he used tambourine instead of cowbell, but I guess that it was his own – tambourine is uh, – that's a great example, right? It's just yeah, – uh, you're just adding something nuanced that most people won't notice, but if it weren't there, it wouldn't be as good. And that, I think, is the way to think about a lot of these um, these interactions. Absolutely. Uh, I want I want you to talk about the role that your gratitude practice played in in reducing annoyance. So I don't know how successful it ultimately was. It makes the book more interesting, certainly. But talk <laughs> about how you hoped, at least, to have gratitude replace annoyance. Yeah, I think my default mode, like many people's, is to be annoyed, find the three or four things wrong every day and focus on them. Uh, I think of it almost like a battle between my inner Larry David and my inner Mr. Rogers. And I think my Larry David is very strong. Uh, so this was partly an attempt to strengthen my Mr. Rogers. And I do think it was successful. I mean, I still get annoyed a, a huge amount. But just doing a practice of focusing on the hundreds of things that go right in every part of our lives, uh, it, it, it really is a, um, a radical shift in perspective. And trying to, you know, when you get in an elevator and press the elevator button and the elevator goes up instead of plummeting to the basement, you know, Focus on that. Uh, I, I, I'm particularly one of my my most irrational biases is that I I'm obsessed that there's a conspiracy that when I go to the airport, my gate is always two and a half miles from the security. Uh, but it's but it's not. That happens and to me too. Incredible. I know. Well, you would think, but it's just because I remember those. You know, I focus on those, and so I make. A very nowadays, I try to make a very clear point to myself, almost say it out loud, like, look at this. I'm at gate number one. Then I walked out of security and here it is. So remember this next time you're complaining to yourself. Uh, and uh, I find, as I say, you know, my Larry David remains strong, but uh, Mr. Rogers is coming back. It's such a challenge. And I, at one point you mentioned use the phrase first world problems. Most, of course, those of us who live in the first world have first world problems. We don't have the worst problems that billions of people have around the world. We're very lucky to mm. be in, in where we are. 
But I think what's fascinating to me psychologically is how hard it is to talk yourself into that uh, perspective. It is because it's so the, – the annoying things are so present. And I think, you know, if you believe in evolutionary psychology, you believe that they – we were uh, built to notice these things because it's more important you notice the lion that might attack you. Um, but, uh, yeah, I would say – it, it is it is key to just try to focus on all the things. It's almost a creative game, thinking of all of the things that go right. And even, you know, the, there's the cliche, half glass full, half glass yeah. empty. I actually have tried to reframe that. And maybe that's not the right perspective. The right perspective is, can you believe that we can turn on a tap? Turn on lever and have clean, drinkable water. Uh, and so it's not just that the head glass is half full; it's that it's astounding we have any water in there at all. And and billion millions of people and throughout history, ninety nine percent of human history, we did not have this. So it, it is, it, yeah, it, it, it's a challenge because our default, I think, is not that. But it does make your life better if you if you really practice at it. And give one you talk to give a, a very nice example about lying in bed before you fall asleep and use it going from A to Z. Describe that. Right. This was a a ritual a friend of mine told me about that I love, and it's uh, that to go to sleep instead of counting sheep, count things that you're grateful for. And I do it alphabetically. So you start with A, you know, and it could be uh, I did. I, the example I used in the book was very related to coffee. So A is for Arabica, which is the type, type of beans that taste really good. Um, and B is for, uh, I can't remember what B is for. but uh, Beans, beans. Beans, there you go. Uh, or the boat, the boat, the fact that we have shipping and we have containers. I mean, I learned all this about the astoundingness of pallets and containers i never thought i would be so blown away it's incredible yeah by this by the chain so yeah i i do find that a good way no no sheep don't do sheep try counting your blessings or or what's what's going right so i want to add one which uh which i experienced i for me i don't know whether it's getting older or whether it's the role of meditation and prayer in my life but i feel i feel more grateful i don't know if i actually am and whether i really I'm less annoyed, but I feel less annoyed. Uh, maybe it's impending death. It could be that. I, I, I like to think it's the meditation and prayer. But in, ca in the case of meditation, I went on a silent meditation retreat, and we had an exercise. This was 45 minutes, and I encourage listeners to do this. Uh, 45 is hard, so maybe just at this point in the, in the episode, if you're not driving, you could just pause this, close your eyes, and, and think about this. And what they encouraged us to do was to go back to our earliest memories and think of times people were kind to us. Mm. And um, I thought, well, this is silly. First of all, I thought, you know, okay, my parents, okay, yeah. How long am I getting? <laughs> I'm not going to be able to, 45 minutes? But I tried, he's, you know, the, the advice was go slow. So I, I tried to go slowly and I, I accumulated a remarkable set of kindnesses that people had done to me that I had literally, I had literally forgotten. I, I just didn't remember them mm -hmm. on a day-to-day -day basis. And it was very moving. Um, Do you and, remember an example? Of oh, yeah. I'll tell you a couple. And then I'll, I'll tell you the, the post, uh, the after effects, which were very really amazing, which is, so one of them was when my, uh, when my sister was born, um, three and a half years older than my sister. When I was three and a half years old, my mom and dad went to the hospital and I had no one to stay with. We were living way far away from any relatives and my parents had a friend. And he took care of me during that time. And after that, it was because he was a family friend, he was extremely uh, generous to me. He gave me my first guitar. And because of that, mm -hmm. I became a guitar. I could play the guitar. I might call myself a guitarist. That would be a lie. But I, <laughs> but I do play the guitar from time to time. Uh, but he gave me a different perspective on music. That's just one of the many, many things he, he had done for me. Well, he doesn't live near us anymore. He's 80-something years old. And... He's not on the internet. I hadn't emailed him, and I got asked my dad to find his number, and I called him, and I thanked him. 
And mm. he cried. I cried too. It was wow. deeply moving uh, that he had been remembered and appreciated. I, I tracked down my eighth grade teacher, Miss Kaneen, who I've mentioned on this program before. Uh, and and it was really hard to do, but I finally found someone who knew her, knew someone who knew someone, and finally got her a letter, and wrote her a, a letter that how she had changed my life. And she wrote back a beautiful letter that was you know incredibly moving. So I, if you do that exercise, it it should engender deep feelings of gratitude, and and there and then you should act on it. It's a it's incredibly mm. powerful, empowering, and powerful. I love that, and I had the same experience. I remember. A couple of years ago, calling out of the blue, my first uh, editor at a tiny, tiny newspaper in mm. suburban California. And it was a little awkward uh, because, you know, I hadn't spoken to him in 15, 20 years. But uh, but again, it, it did turn out to be moving, I think, for both of us. And there was just a study. I'm, I'm skeptical of single studies in general in social science, but... Not, not me, AJ. This, I'm sure this but, is the absolute truth. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this one. Well, since I like the study, I'm going to believe. You, there you go. Uh, but they said that um, that the we overestimate the awkwardness of these uh, of thanking people, mm -hmm. and we underestimate the meaningfulness uh, to them. Uh, and I think that that is true from my personal experience. No, I agree with that. I think that is true of my personal experience. It's a beautiful thing. Has has the, writing the book. And going through this exercise, do you think it's made you a more grateful person? Going because now you're done. Now you can write a book on ingratitude. <laughs> now um, I can just take everything for granted. Yeah, the book's done. So has it changed? Do you think? I do think it had a it had a pretty big impact. And uh, I, I, as I say, I'm still I still get annoyed uh, all the time. But uh, it I, I've I've become a much more grateful person. Partly because I think from a selfish point of view, it's just a much better way to live. Uh, you know, from an outside point of view, being annoyed is is funny. It's funny to watch on TV. It's funny to listen to other people complain sometimes. But when you're when you're seeing the world that way, it's not always that pleasant. And being able to appreciate the hundreds of amazing things uh, that that are in our lives is really a much better way to live. And, and there's a phrase, I didn't make it up, but, uh, you know, gratitude, happiness does not lead to gratitude. Gratitude leads to happiness. And I, I find that to be quite true in, in my case. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's, um, I think the, you know, the challenge is, is that, and this fascinates me, I don't know if it's the evolutionary psychology point, but I, I kind of find myself at times reveling in getting annoyed, reveling in getting <laughs> and Twitter does this to me sometimes, right? Uh, social media, I think, does this to us occasionally. You like sometimes it feels good to work quote work yourself up into a state. And yeah. um, when you try the other, uh, just saying I'm not going to get mad, but it does take. I think you know. I think it takes some form of meditation or mindfulness, uh, prayer, writing a book. All those things are actually they're not unrelated. To help you keep it in mind, because it's so easy for your uh, your mind to grab you and take you in a different place. Absolutely, and yeah, you're right. It does feel it's like junk food. It just yeah. feels, <laughs> you know, it it gives you a momentary boost. But I think in the long term, is is quite uh, harmful to us. And and I did love. I talked to one um, one of my friends who's a philosopher at Oxford. And I asked him, what are you grateful for? And he had a very interesting answer. He said, sometimes I'm just grateful that I have arms. And I, uh, uh, Because it's easy to be grateful, you know, if you get a big promotion, that's easy to focus on. But remembering the, the things that we take totally for granted, like arms, which do come in handy. It would have been much harder to write this book without arms. So I love that mindset of really focusing on what, what we take for granted. And the, another thing that I think you would agree, because I love the way you talk about the past, is, um, you know, we should be grateful that we live right now. It, we've got a lot of problems. It's a very challenging time. But the good old days were not good. The good old days were terrible. They were disease ridden and they were poverty filled. And it was just not a place you wanted to be. Yeah, just uh, if you ever have a root canal, you, you, mm. you do appreciate. But of course, 
if you want to be a half empty glass kind of guy, you can certainly say, I resent that I'm not living 100 years from now when <laughs> we'll live to be 200 with no uh, infirmities. And uh, right. but uh, I, I don't know. I, but I do think we romanticize the past. And uh, I, I actually take it, I think, often to a more basic level, which is I'm just happy to be alive uh, at 64 years old and to be blessed with all the lucky things that I have. And um Anytime I think of those is a good thing. I, I think the, the more you think about those things, the better. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I mean, what you said, when I try to, uh, when I get annoyed, I do, uh, my, my three-word mantra is um, surgery without anesthesia. I mean, just think <laughs> about that and it is, it will wake you up. That's good. I like that. I, uh I have a whole, yeah, I have a whole bunch of them, but I, I, I do think what's interesting about this, is how hard it is to, to rationally decide I'm going to be more appreciative of what I have. Uh, it, that's hard. And, and you, I think you need some kind of regimen, whether it's mindfulness or reading H.H. Jacobs' book, Thanks a Thousand, <laughs> which I'm serious, by the way. Spending Thanks. It's a short book, by the way. So spending an hour-ish or a little more than an hour or maybe two with H.H. Jacobs about the virtues of gratitude is probably one way of engendering a little more gratitude, a little less annoyance, a little more Mr. Rogers. Well, I am, of course, very grateful for you for saying that. <laughs> but um, but I agree, you definitely need to concentrate. It doesn't come naturally. Uh, I wish it did, but uh, but you really do need to make it a practice. And uh, you know, they have uh, there are studies. Again, I'm skeptical of any single study, but there are lots of studies about keeping a gratitude journal and writing down three things you're grateful for every day. And I, I do, I do trade. I actually trade emails with my mom every day uh, and uh, on what I'm grateful for and what she's grateful for. That's and a great I, idea. Yeah. I find it very, she likes it. I like it. And uh, it assuages my guilt for not being in touch with her more. So it all works. So I'm going to read a poem. Uh, I apologize. Uh, indulge me. Because it kind of captures this uh, mom gratitude thing, which I love. It's by Billy Collins. It's called The Lanyard. Mm. The other day, as I was ricocheting slowly off the blue walls of this room, bouncing from typewriter to piano, from bookshelf to an envelope lying on the floor, I found myself in the L section of the dictionary, where my eyes fell upon the word lanyard. No cookie nibbled by a French novelist could send one more suddenly into the past— a past where I sat at a workbench at a camp by a deep Adirondack lake, learning how to braid thin plastic strips into a lanyard, a gift for my mother. I had never seen anyone use a lanyard or wear one, if that's what you did with them. But what that did not keep me from crossing strand over strand again and again until I had made a boxy red and white lanyard for my mother. She gave me life and milk from her breasts, and I gave her a lanyard. She nursed me in many a sick room, lifted teaspoons of medicine to my lips, set cold face cloths on my forehead, then led me out into the airy light and taught me to walk and swim, and I in turn presented her with a lanyard. <laughs> here are thousands of meals, she said, and here is clothing and a good education, and here is your lanyard, I replied, <laughs> which I made with a little help from a counselor. Here is a breathing body and a beating heart, strong legs, bones, and teeth, and two clear eyes to read the world, she whispered. In here, I said, is the lanyard I made at camp. And here, I wish to say to her now, is a smaller gift, not the archaic truth that you can never repay your mother, but the rueful admission that when she took the two-toned lanyard from my hands, I was as sure as a boy could be that this useless Worthless thing I wove out of boredom would be enough to make us even. Oh, I love that. <laughs> what a fantastic poem. Such a good poem. Thank you for oh. the excuse of letting me read it on oh. Econ Talk. And it reminds me, I think I mentioned this in the book, uh, my feeling on birthdays. Oh, yeah, I love that. Yeah, I think that we've got it all wrong because we're, you know, we congratulate the the person who was born. But that person, you know, they didn't do the hard part. They just got out and they screamed for, for milk and <laughs> maybe took an APGAR test. But the one who did all the work was the mom who was pushing and, you know. Suffering. Uh, yeah, <laughs> suffering like I can't even imagine. So, yeah, I think we should combine 
birthday wishes for both the 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 person born born and the birther. So, I mean, Labor Day was already taken as a word, so I we can't say Happy Labor Day, but the same idea, I think. Well, I like that one though. I'm going to take Labor Day and use it to thank my wife and my mom. <laughs> uh, I love that. That's even better. Uh, let's go back to coffee for a minute, uh, just for fun. How did this project change your morning experience of drinking a cup of coffee? Well, one thing is, you know, I'm still no, uh, you know, sommelier of coffee, but it did force me to at least let think about the taste of coffee for two seconds. You know, all these people put in thousands of hours to make my coffee. The least I could do is focus for two seconds on the taste. And, and it's, you know, you don't have to spend a long time, but just think about the acidity and the sweetness and the texture. And I do that with a lot of different food now. And, and I think it does help. And psychologists talk about savoring as a very important part of life and just stretching out a moment for a little longer than normal. Because if you don't, then everything just goes by in a flash and that's it. So trying to focus on a moment. And I actually, I, I, I try to do this a lot in life is pick out a moment of the day and try to remember it. I have a list on my computer called one thing, and it's a document. Uh, one thing I remember from a meal, one thing I remember from a conversation, a book, a podcast. And I find it very helpful because otherwise it all just blurs together. So explain that in a little more detail. You say you have, you have a document called one thing. Yeah, and it's just is, a list of any is it's just a list of what I found most interesting or most memorable. Here I can uh, I'll try to open it up. But uh you know, yeah, uh, after listening, I've done on your podcast actually. Well, this is a good way to do it. I have I've listed things from your podcast that um that I have really stuck with me. Uh one of them was similar to what we've been talking about it was when you asked uh, Bill James, the um, sabermetrics baseball guy, um, what he had learned. And he talked about how many people it takes to make a championship mm. baseball team. Yeah. And, you know, the minor league coach, the parents who nurtured the kid, uh, you know, the the the. Uh, the whoever did the carpool to bring the kids to practice. And I love that. So that went in the one thing file. That's beautiful. Right? But then you just listen. The, the next thing might be one thing you remember from dinner last night that was special. Right. Like something my kids did, uh, or uh, it could be, you know, in a conversation or a party I went to the one thing someone said, and uh, I love it. I go back to it every few days and just, uh, because, again, otherwise, uh, I don't know about everyone, but my brain just turns it all into mush and you uh, and you don't remember the high points. That's really a beautiful idea. And I, you know, you think about there are people who are religious note takers in class. And sometimes you wonder if they get anything out of it because they write everything down. So mm. it's not the one thing. And maybe it could be two things sometimes. I assume sometimes you put more than one thing from the same. I have. I have yeah. veered from the one thing path. Yeah. 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 Uh, because it's what's interesting to me is I'd forgotten that Bill James insight, which I loved when I heard it. So thank you. But <laughs> I also – the one I remembered from that was when I asked him if we'd, we'd – plumb the depths fully of our knowledge of baseball. And he says something like, we know nothing. <laughs> mm. And here's the person who has, I think, done more than any one person to help us understand the analytical aspect of this weird game. And I was on October 22nd today, I say, go Red Sox tomorrow night. It's their um, <laughs> game one of the World Series. Uh, but here's a person who's done more than anything. And yet he feels he knows nothing. And I, that just that's the one that stuck with me even though I didn't write it down, but I wish I had written it down because he said it better than that. And that I can go back great. to the transcript and get it, but I, I love that. Do you do it at a particular time each day or do you, do you have a I routine? Think I do it before I go to bed, yeah. So I go through the day, you know, what podcast I listened to and what was the one thing that stood out. And I'll try while listening to a podcast, I'll be like, okay, that's going to be the one thing. And um, and it's funny because I wish I had, I loved that the point that Bill James made about 
epistemological humility because yep. that that I'm obsessed with that too. Uh, so I'm going to add that, even though it was two things. Um, and, and I have another one from your podcast. You talked about. I've never seen this cartoon, but you talked in one episode about um, a cartoon or or a comic where it was just a broom sweeping and a steering wheel for the bus without any mm-hmm. people to yeah. show how much in life we take for granted uh, and don't acknowledge the people, which was also very much in the theme of my book. Yeah, I try to think, like, when I get off the, the shuttle from the airport to the parking lot, I always thank the driver. Mm. And, and I try to thank the driver face-to-face rather than just calling out thank you. But sometimes I call it thank you because I'm in the wrong place. But I, I wonder how much that it's, – it's better than not doing it for sure. But I right. often wonder how, how much it matters. But it matters for me, by the way, because I think in, encouraging that sense of gratitude makes you a better person, even if the other, even the other person didn't hear it. So I'm going to disagree with your, with your son a little bit, but I think it's better to tell him face-to-face for sure. But I think having that emotion is, is a helpful thing. I agree. I think it helps the thanker and the thankee. And I do think, at least from my limited um, uh, you know, interviews with people, that it does – it does matter. When I interviewed the barista, she said the worst part of her job, well, first of all, it's a tough job because job. You're, encountering, you're, you're encountering people in a very dangerous state, which is pre-caffeination. <laughs> so you're not, they're not in their best. But she says the worst part is that so many people treat her uh, like, like a vending machine. They don't even not acknowledge that she's a human. They just yep. are looking at their phones. They hand her the credit card without looking up. They take it back and don't say anything. So even just the two seconds of making eye contact, acknowledging she's a human, makes a huge difference for her. And, you know, I'm not expecting a Nobel Prize, but I have started to make eye contact because I realize I'm that putz. I'm the one who who just, you know, doesn't look up when dealing with people. And, uh, you know, maybe in a... A few decades, there won't be people to deal with, just robots. But for now, we should treat them like humans that they are. Yeah, that's a, no, I totally agree. Uh, definitely, um, it's just an easy way to make the world a better place without having to really suffer very much. You can look up from your phone, really. You can. It's not. It's not. It's not that big a deal. It is exactly low impact, low low uh, output, but high impact. Now, is is the book out? It is out November 13th, okay, but so, it is available for pre-order in case anyone's interested. Yeah, I'm not sure, we're sure where this will air, but I think it'll be close to November 13th. I'm interested in how this book will affect your coffee shop because I have to confess that – well, you talk about the logo of the coffee shop, how that was designed, and that's part of the experience, and I looked up – I wanted to see it. So I Googled Joe's Coffee, which is interesting – Joe Coffee, and I found mm. it, which is surprising because Joe is a – Slang word for coffee, and I thought I'd have trouble finding it, but it came up right away because uh, uh, Google's so smart. They know I'd read your – I was reading your book probably, but um, <laughs> creepy, but smart. No, I, I did find it, and it dawned on – it's a beautiful logo, <laughs> like like he's described it. Uh, I wonder how – it gave me an urge to go to that coffee shop, which is just interesting, um, and I wonder if that will happen. Well, that would – yeah, I I think they do a good job, and they're very thoughtful. You know, they 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 – deal with small farms and uh so listen i would be delighted if it helped and and it is interesting you know uh, 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 the the crossover between uh business and gratitude uh because i am i'm writing a piece for uh, linkedin about how you know gratitude can help your business in in many ways you know just there are all these CEOs like Mary Kay, the founder of Mary Kay Cosmetics, would write 10 handwritten thank you notes a day, and she credited it with, with helping her business. Um, but the, yeah, and, being, and being thoughtful and thankful for your customers, that, uh, I think, is uh, it, it allows you to – it motivates you to try to do, do well by them. You're not just trying to make money. You're trying to, to – Help your customers, and then they'll come, and you'll make more money. Uh, but anyway, that uh, was a sort of a, um, a tangent, but semi-related. I, I do hope that it helps Joe Coffee because I like them. Yeah, that's cool. 
Um, and I, by the way, it's interesting. I, I have at least four things so far from this conversation. Um, and I, I think I am going to – I like that one thing. I'm going to write some of them down. One of them I'm going to mention is that I've always liked this bumper sticker, um, uh, wag more, bark less. <laughs> and it's a beautiful, simple statement. But I, I'm thinking about yours now, which is maybe even better. More more Mr. Rogers, less Larry David. You know, <laughs> It's the same idea. Uh, and I'm a I big Larry the, David fan. I think he's a very funny man. But oh, uh, the light. I, I wouldn't want to be inside his mind, no. but I, I love watching him. Or at least I like that, that wag more. I thought you were going to say, because I mentioned um, uh, a bumper sticker in the trucking. I have a chapter on yeah. transportation. And uh, the guy said there's a bumper sticker that's, uh, you know, America – uh, moves on trucking or something, something a little better. But the idea is that we, we definitely don't acknowledge the how every almost everything in our lives was on trucks and on these pallets, these wooden, these just plain old wooden platforms. You know, this laptop I'm looking at, this microphone, this uh, you know, this this canister, the water canister. They were all at one point on. Pallets, and I've given zero thought to pallets, so I, I just wanted to shout out to pallets. <laughs> I learned in from the history of pallets, they helped us win World War II because we were more efficient in uh, packing our supplies to the uh, Pacific Theater. So shout out to pallets. Yeah, pallets are cool, and containers are cool. I, you know, I, boxes are cool. They're all amazing. They make right. There, there was a great book. I read a book on. Yeah. Uh, on containers, the birth of containers. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, so now I'm, I have to give you a little bit of a hard time, AJ, because uh, oh, I'm ready. I'm you, ready. You picked I'm... on my one of my favorite things in the world. Uh, <laughs> I pencil. Yeah, I pencil. I, I don't just. I want to hear you. I don't. I don't want to say I picked on it because I think it's a, a wonderful piece. I just have a couple of disagreements with it, but I want to wag the tail. For eye pencil as well as my couple barks. Yeah, so so eye pencil is is the uh, poor man's version of your book in some dimension, obviously. <laughs> and and what you point out in your book, I'm, so I'm going to let you make your point first. If I may use a bad phrase, make your point uh, about a pencil, but um, I'll let you sharpen your point. Uh, you you very uh, appropriately, in my view, perhaps surprising to you, but you very appropriately, in my view, uh, thank the people who provide government services that make coffee better. So talk about that and then how they're left out of iPencil. Right. Well, I, I have a section on, on safety, uh, the, the fact that I can drink my cup of coffee and not die, which is not something that I should take for granted because a couple hundred years ago, the ingredients in coffee, the uh, where, you know, there was lead, there was arsenic, there was baked horse liver, there was anything you can think of. And so I, I was thankful for the birth of the the FDA and other government agencies that try to keep us safe. Uh, and I, um, uh, you know, that was my my critique of iPencil, which, as I say, is uh, wonderful in many ways. I... It's more of a matter of degree. I feel that um, that that we need to acknowledge the that there there should be some regulation to keep us safe and uh, and places like the FDA and that a uh, and maybe you and I diverge a little on this of how much regulation there should be uh, in capitalism. Uh, so that was sort of my my only critique that. Of the eye pencil is that they're yeah they they kind of left out the people who the governments who funded the roads the you know the police force who kept the pencil factories safe the uh, the the government uh, made lead illegal which I think was a great thing not illegal but you know so now pencils are made with with graphite instead of lead so that that's where I diverged from. From the lovely eye pencil essay. We'll talk about water. Talk about why? About talk about water and the water oh, supply water. that water. comes into the coffee in New York. Right. Well, I realize uh, that coffee is ninety eight point eight percent water. It's just a little bit of this ground up uh, beans. So, um, and I totally took for granted how much goes into the product 
to the production of water and that I get it for free. Uh, and maybe that's not the best system, but it is still astounding. And so I went up 200 miles north of New York where we have the Catskills Reservoir System, which is huge. It's almost twice as big as Rhode Island. And it, it's just a mind-boggling amount of water. And and all these people who keep it safe, who um, sterilize it, who build the pipes, who there are hundreds of scientists, they're testing it millions of times a year. and um, Literally. Literally millions. And, you know, there are people whose jobs are not fun. There's the, you know, there's a ranger who goes around uh, picking up what is euphemistically called organic matter, which is like, a, you know, deer poop and, uh, and cow poop near the reservoir so it doesn't run into the reservoir. And, and it just made me realize um, that I give zero thought to these people when I turn on the tap. So, um, so yeah, that was... I guess that's where the where the chapter was on uh, on that government does provide services that uh, that can be uh, important and good for you and that I take for granted. And I, of course, I totally agree with that. Uh, I'm not an anarchist, and I, I think the the you know the FDA it's a mixed track record. It saved mm-hmm. us from some things, and it's probably prevented us from having some things that would have been good for us because it's overly cautious in my view, but that's a, you know, that's a legitimate discussion. I think some of those services could be, be provided by third parties more, more effectively, not just cheaper. I don't care so much about cheaper's nice, but I really care about more effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly the infrastructure, I think it's, it's interesting. I often get this, I, I consider it a straw man argument that somehow I don't appreciate as a free market person, the role of, of government. And of course, Government's crucial for making many aspects of of your cup of coffee or the pencil uh, effective and and powerful, including the roads, including some safety regulations, some of which might not be necessary, but many of them are are productive and, and effective. So I, you know, I'm not having a problem with that. I don't think I don't think Milton Friedman did either, and, and Leonard Reed did, there, who wrote iPencil, and we'll, of course put a link up to iPencil. It's on our site um, on the Library of Economics and Liberty. But I think the other point. That I think is 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 sort of I would say it's orthogonal to to your book, and is not part of this um, uh, debate over how much regulation and you know the reasonable people I think could disagree over. But the, the, I think the other point that's in I pencil is this idea that you can't thank anybody for the system that provides your cup of coffee. So, for example, the example I like to use is. And my wife likes coffee a lot more than I do, and she's a lot more discriminating. And you're probably <laughs> somewhere between. Sounds like you're between you and you and. Right, uh, right. I hate to say you've come between you and my wife, but uh, uh, <laughs> appears to be the case. I want to do that. So my wife is is very uh, serious about her coffee. So you know when we're staying somewhere on vacation or a trip, uh, she wants to have a good cup of coffee, and of course she can bring her own equipment if she needs to. She has to, but generally she doesn't. Uh, uh, for her, Starbucks is a minimum standard, right? It's not mm. it's not what she prefers, but she will drink Starbucks at least, thank goodness. Probably won't <laughs> drink Dunkin' Donuts, just, you know, for the record. Mm. But when you're in a major American city, even a minor American city now, you can walk out of your hotel room and you will find a pretty good cup of coffee, sometimes a great cup of coffee, within a 10-minute walk. And usually it's a two-minute walk. And mm. that's – who do you thank for that? And the – you know, there's no one person. There's no the, – the whole system of competition, which keeps Joe in line, your coffee shop. If Joe were the only coffee shop in New York, I don't think they'd be very good at it. That's my that, – that's what is what I think the contribution of iPencil is, is to make you recognize that the – and it's in Hayek as well, of course, that this this incredible – network of cooperation between the truck driver and the coffee bean roaster and the maker of the equipment for all those things, that that network is held together by a set of prices and the freedom to shop where you want that keeps things in line that that no agency has to do, no one mm. deliberately has to do. And that's just um, – that's what makes me romanticize capitalism. Not mm. – I recognize there are things that go wrong. I recognize it needs government to work well. But 
that whole phenomenon to me is something else to be grateful for without having anyone to thank because no one's in charge of it. I love that. Yeah. And uh, well, first of all, uh, I think when the coffee professionals I talk to agree with your wife about Starbucks, <laughs> that uh, they are uh, they are not they think it's too bitter. Um, but I love what you said about that. And yeah, maybe I didn't give enough um, weight in my book to that part of iPencil uh, because I I do, I am, of course, as I say, I think capitalism is the best system humans have come up with. And, um, and it is astounding how all these things work together. And, and I do uh, agree with uh, Steven Pinker, who says, you know, capitalism has lifted billions of people out of poverty, even in the last 50 years. So uh, I certainly wouldn't want to replace it. And, and, and that is one thing I also loved about iPencil is, he, again, endorses um, humility and uh, b- because the um, sort of the arrogance of trying of saying, I know what uh, I know how to plan an economy. I know what people are going to want and I can do it all centrally. That kind of arrogance uh, has just led to disaster. So I'm a fan of uh, of intellectual humility and, and I guess, um, yeah, systemic uh, humility. Of course, your book is in many ways a tribute to to the power of specialization because mm. you have all these crazy jobs that you encountered where people were doing one thing, and um, that's um, that's the nature of of what the modern world is about to some extent, right? It's it's this inability to do everything for yourself, this recognition that it's good to, quote, rely on others, but in a different way than we normally think of it through this mm-hmm. decentralized system. And, and since we specialize, uh, I'm the economist. You're the writer and the dreamer and the creative guy. So I can add this little piece without you – can, you can accept it without shame, I think, that you didn't get every bit of economics into your book that, that I would have if I'd written it. Agree. Because I would have missed a lot of things that you added, right? So, <laughs> uh, it did, did anything – uh, is there an aftermath to this story for your family? You have you have youngest children. Uh, obviously, parents often try to inculcate gratitude into their kids. And you started this conversation with a story from a dinner table conversation. I don't. I, I, I didn't notice it in the book. Maybe I missed it. Um, where your your kid said you need to thank these people face to face. Has anything that you experienced and then shared with your family? Uh, change the way you treat them, parent them, your kids, or their experience? Well, absolutely. I mean, first of all, I do think it's good for patience, which is something, you know, my kids are 12, 12, and 14, and you need a huge amount of patience and try to, uh, you know, there, there's a saying that you should try to, for every every criticism you have of your wife and kids or spouse, partner, you should try to have five good things to say, which is an incredibly high standard. I don't know if there's any science behind it, but I do like the the message there. And yeah, I, and I think it has sunk into my kids a little. You know, I think, um, I think in general, uh, and I was this way until just a few years ago, uh, you know, we're very self-centered. Uh, so, uh, trying to get them out of their own little minds and realize how connected. And I think it's sinking in, not totally, but I think it's sinking in. I'm very proud of them. And, uh, you know, one of my sons, uh, when we were at his, at my mom's house, he, he said, thank you, grandma, for, you know, buying this sugar cereal. And thank, thank you, thank you, your parents for having you and thank their parents for having them. And I love that he was Sort of thinking about the chain, uh, so yes, it, it it definitely has had an impact. I mean, I'm always wary to say I have friends who write books on happiness or how to have the perfect family, and I'm like, how do you do that? Because the pressure, like if your family, you know, if your kids turn out terribly, like there goes your career. So I'm not going to boast that I have a, <laughs> I'm a perfect parent, but uh, but it has made me a better one. Did. Uh... Did you tell your children about your adventures, say, uh, when you went to, say, to the coffee uh, bean growers in Colombia? It was Colombia, right? 
Yeah, yeah. I went did down did there. you tell them those stories and, and did you keep them up to date or do you just hope that they'll read your book? Oh, no. They are, uh, I, I think they, they're not going to read it because I told them everything. So, uh, no, <laughs> I did all the spoilers. But they, uh, yeah, I, I made sure every adventure I came home, uh, like, you know, my, with, with the water, when I went to visit people who, you know, my son has a tortoise and he squirts the tortoise with water from our sink. And I say, you know, there were hundreds of people who, who made that water possible. So, uh, you know, you and Sheldon, the tortoise, should be very grateful. And, you know, they might roll their eyes. But, but again, I do think it sinks in a little. And, and they've, uh, I'm interested for Thanksgiving because I want to, instead of going around and just if you don't give specific instructions at Thanksgiving, it's just like, I'm thankful for my family or I'm thankful for my uh, Nintendo uh, game system. And, uh, but I'm going to ask them to try to be as creative as possible in who they thank at Thanksgiving. You know, it could be the, the person who, uh, you know, who, who invented the nitrogen fixation process so that they could grow the cranberries so we could have cranberries on the table. They might not go with nitrogen fixation, but maybe I will. Uh, but I want them to be creative in thinking of who to thank because that way it's not just automatic, not just rote. My guest today has been A.J. Jacobs. His book is Thanks a Thousand. A.J., thank you for being part of EconTalk. Thank you. More than a thousand, Russ. This is EconTalk, part of the Library of Economics and Liberty. For more EconTalk, go to econtalk.org, where you can also comment on today's podcast and find links and readings related to today's conversation. The sound engineer for EconTalk is Rich Goyette. I'm your host, Russ Roberts. Thanks for listening. Talk to you on Monday.